The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Food Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern provolone is manning the production elements of the podcast. Coming up on today's program, or program, depending on which articulation you prefer today on a Monday morning, we've got Josh Swanson with Vogel Law and Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn. Coming up on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines, they're going to join us to talk about force majeure. Now, you might be asking, what is force majeure? Well, folks, you're going to want to stick around and at least find out what it is because it could bankrupt the insurance industry like you've never seen, and that's just from the restaurants. But for this podcast and conversation, we're going to talk with Josh Swanson and Chris Cottrell about force majeure in the oil and gas industry. Now, keep in mind, this term has been around for a long time. However, it usually only gets brought up in you know tornadoes and floods and that sort of thing. But in the NBA, some people started pontificating whether the owners of the NBA teams were going to pay their players because of force majeure. Well, this sent a ripple effect through the industry. Go ahead, Google it. All kinds of question marks about whether people are going to implement force majeure or not. We've got two experts coming up here to talk about that. In fact, Mr. Josh Swanson Esquire wrote a law review paper titled The Hand of God for the University of North Dakota, of course, with all the flooding up there. This is something that is quite normal. In fact, a lot of times it, it's force majeure is, okay, oil and gas companies, here's a letter, flood's coming, flood the wells out, do what you need to do because the flood is coming, take care of the wells because they're going to be underwater very soon. That types of, that's what it's been in the past. Well, this is different because within force majeure, there is actual language, actual language that says pandemic and epidemic. So just to preview a little bit, I know for a fact, both Josh Swanson and Chris Cottrell are going to call out the oil and gas administration in terms of the overseers, the regulators. I believe it's the Texas Railroad Commission down in Texas. And in North Dakota, it is the uh, Industrial Commission and or the uh, Mineral Department. I believe it's the Industrial Commission that actually dictates to the Mineral Department. But that's neither here nor there. Point is, the leaders in the industry that work for the governments and everything need to come forward and say, this is a pandemic, this is an epidemic, because what it's going to do is it's going to help the industry in the long run by defining terms now. But before we get into that, I just want to talk about a couple things. And then actually, we're going to get right into the interviews. I mean, I only want to talk for less than five minutes. I actually am looking at the clock and we're just getting a little bit over three and a half minutes or something like that. So I'm hoping to speak here for another couple of minutes. Actually, just till Josh Swanson calls in. I know he's going to be our first guest here today. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law in just a moment or two. But the thing that I did want to talk about with you folks very quickly is Right now, the world is still uncertain, and that's okay. You're going to hear a lot of leaders come out and use words of affirmation. And I'll even start with the president. 
President Trump has talked about we want to get this NFL season back. We want to get back by Easter. But that's changed. And the president knows this, that the world is uncertain right now. And he's doing his best. He's doing his best. And we are going to get through this. But here's the thing. It is very difficult right now to listen to anybody of authority try to tell us when things are going to get back to normal because they don't know. And anything they're doing is speculation. So here's what we do know. We are going through a change. We are going through a literal societal change. It is a paradigm shift. The world is uncertain, and that's okay. We are made as creatures to adapt. We've been doing it since the dawn of man. We've been adapting. So maybe you should too, through this change. And everybody's adaption is gonna be a little bit different. But what we're gonna do is we are gonna come out of this together because of those adaptions that are taking place right now, those changes that are taking place right now. And they don't have to be major ones. For some people, it's just adapting to what's going on. Some people right now are having a very hard time finding out who they really are. From the roots in their hair to the soul in their body, they're having a really hard time finding out who they are. And guess what? That is okay. Because in the end, you're going to grow from it. We are all growing right now. So do you want to do a positive growth or do you want the negativity to grow? Because when you listen to the affirmations that a lot of the leaders are coming out with right now, that is the impact of some negativity. Because if the expectation is not met, there's a reaction. And that reaction a lot of time is not a positive one. So it's okay right now to be uncertain. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. But if you can adapt to the changes that are going on right now, the best you can, make a positive impact in your life. And that will ripple into the lives of others. That is the energy I'm talking about. That is the esoteric approach to energy. That is the ripple that we can have as an industry. We are energy united. And if we are that, we will make a positive change together. Because folks, the only thing we know is that at the end of this, life is gonna be different as we know it. And you know what, not only is that okay, but it's for the best. And there might be a little bit of rebuilding happening afterwards. In fact, we all know there's gonna be rebuilding, but if we do it together and we stay positive, it's gonna work out. All right, Provolone, do we have Josh Swanson ready today? Folks, by the way, everything that we normally do here on a day-to-day -day basis is available via our website. We have our daily headlines there. We have our daily radio update on the podcast, which today is Devin Becker of Becker Safety and Supply. Just giving an update on what they're doing with the COVID shutdown in their small business. Also, our sponsor today, we have a daily sponsor. Our sponsor today is a new sponsor. Thank you very much to WIC, Williams Insulation Company. WIC has been a leading industrial insulation company in the Mountain States for over 41 years. They provide partners with safety, quality, and productivity on every project, big or small, but most of all, they have integrity. From insulation and fireproofing to asbestos abatement and scaffolding, WIC believes perfection is possible and achievable on all projects. In fact, I was talking to Bailey Midkiff the other day, and he told me sometimes it's the imperfection that makes us perfect. So they're based in the Rockies, serving the industry west of the Mississippi. But guess what? They're not limited to. 
Check out WIC and their website today. We have the link available at our podcast, but check them out for yourself, folks. Go to W-I-C-W-Y-O, that's W-I-C-Wyoming.com, W-I-C-W-Y-O.com. Provolone, do we have Josh Swanson ready? I got the thumbs up via the video. See, Provolone's not here right now. We're doing this FaceTime via stuff, so we got FaceTime going for Provolone, so I can take a look that he's pushing the right buttons, making sure everybody's getting in right. I've got Josh Swanson calling in via phone. I'm sitting here in the home office by myself in the home studio, and I got three people watching me. I don't like this. I want to go back to my little private world, folks. Okay, can we get Josh Swanson on now? Josh, Provolone, get a mic level check, and let's get right into the interview. And then also Chris Cottrell coming up, Devin Becker, Becker Safety and Supply. We've got a full show for you, folks. Woo, doggy, let's get to Josh Swanson and a little bit of force majeure. Josh Swanson, Vogel Lopper. Thank you very much for joining the program here today, and I love checking in with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law because... You know, Law & Order, big show on television, CSI, you know, law shows are always number one on television and streaming, so they got to be huge on the radio and podcasting. Ain't that right, Josh Swanson? Absolutely. You know, there's no no uh, coincidence there. Law & Order, one of the longest-running TV shows in history, I think it was up to 400-plus episodes in the the true crime podcast and the crime See? stuff leading <laughs> off the news. So pe- people... People love the law and order, Jason, and that's what I'm here to provide, a little bit of law and order. So now that we've made this interview bigger than 10 Super Bowls, we should probably get right into it here. So uh, let's start off with an update on the uh, famous Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson case out in uh, western North Dakota. Start off by, you know, just a quick elevator pitch style summary of the case and then where we're at today. The state of North Dakota continues to claim that it owns all the minerals under the lake by virtue of the United States acquiring that property for Garrison Dam and the Lake Sakakawea Reservoir. As you and your listeners know, the legislature passed Senate Bill 2134 a couple sessions ago, which which created a new set of statutes in our century code, which led to the Industrial Commission issuing an order saying that the state's interests are limited to the historic river as it existed prior to the dam, which is what everybody agrees with as far as mineral owners and operators. But for whatever reason, the the state here, in its case, between the state engineer and land board, will not release its claim to the Wilkinson's minerals, despite the fact that Wilkinson's minerals are indisputably above the ordinary high water mark as determined by the industrial commission so the final set of briefs we just filed our brief with the north dakota supreme court responding to the state's appeal as you know you know visiting last fall the district court grant summary judgment in the mineral owners my client's favor the state appealed that we're before the supreme court now we filed our uh, response brief to the state's appeal Last week, and the Supreme Court has set the case for an argument in April. We're just waiting on a, a specific date for argument, but it will be argued in the April term. Argued in the April term. Okay. And um, you've won the last couple, haven't you? This is like an appeal? This is an appeal, and we've won. The, the frustrating thing in the, the North Dakota Petroleum Council filed an amicus brief in our case, by and large, taking 
our position in the case and agreeing with us, and, and we certainly appreciate them doing that. You know, you have a case where mineral owners and operators are on the same page and united against the state's Keystone Cops approach and attempt to claim minerals they have no interest in. And it's a, a case where we won the last appeal a couple of years ago. We've won the last, well, every decision since then at the district court. The legislature has passed the statute. The governor signed it. So you've had in the last, you know, three, four years here, everybody and their mother-in-law coming out telling the state engineer and land board they don't have a claim. But for whatever reason, they persist in saying that they own these minerals. So now the, the silver lining, I suppose, is, we're at the light at the end of the tunnel back in front of the Supreme Court for a second time, and we're hopeful and optimistic that the Supreme Court will side with our position and, and finally and definitively say that the state has no interest in these private minerals. With the oil prices the way they are, um, do you foresee this being an issue? What I mean by that is, listen, Josh, 55% of the state's budget is tied to the oil uh, extraction and production tax in North Dakota. So you know as well as I do, they're going to be looking for ways to find money. And this might be one of those ways. Is that is that out of line for me to say at this juncture? The the interesting thing about that, you know, the, the state itself, uh, what effectively the state wants to do, the land board wants to sue the industrial commission on this. So we'd have a lawsuit captioned state versus state. So you have the, the left hand of state government not doing what the right hand's doing. And there are some folks, and that's how I think, Jason, this whole thing started back in 2010. Someone with the land border in the attorney general's office got this bright idea that they could just take private property and make a bunch of money off it. And that's what all these memos from the land board back from the fall and summer of 2010 indicate. So I, I think, you know, that old saying, follow the money, I think there's certainly a motivating factor with some individuals that think this is a revenue source for the state. The, the other end of it, though, as the, the Petroleum Council has noted in its brief, and, and mineral owners are paying attention to it, operating and developing these minerals has a significant cost. And there's, you know, when you throw in uncertainty and, and actions that the state is doing, all of a sudden, that, that's a, a complicating factor with regards to developing these minerals if, if operators are not knowing who to pay. And the operators themselves, as far as the Petroleum Council, siding with the private mineral owners here, I mean, they, they're, you know, my take on it is they're agreeing with our position, but at the same time, they're being put into a corner a little bit because they don't want to go pay private mineral owners like my clients then have the state clawing back at them trying to get money and with with any sort of business when you have that uncertainty when you're looking at the, you know down economic times you know everything between the coronavirus and what the oil markets are doing it's not exactly a ripe environment to be investing a lot of money in developing these wells and when you have government getting in the way that doesn't help things at all and that's that's one of the more frustrating parts about this is that it's a tough time for a lot of folks in the oil and gas industry and mineral owners that the one thing that mineral owners and operators can agree on they want that price to be good and they want that oil to be developed and when the state gets in the way of that it isn't good for anybody has the petroleum council taken a side in this yeah and that that's 
you know, that go, that goes back to the the uh, brief they actually filed in the case supporting our position. So the Petroleum Council did. I'm, you know, I'm glad he brought that up because I think it's a point that needs to, to be emphasized. Is that they have filed a brief in support of the Wilkinson's position. They there's a, a little bit of divergence there as far as the timeline for paying it, but uh, the ultimate issue, the the key issue, the you know number one top of the fold, leading off top of the hour news story. The big issue is ownership of the minerals, and the Petroleum Council agrees the state doesn't have any claim to these minerals. How about the governor and the attorney general? And the reason I, I, I basically point at those two is because they sit on the land board and they sit on the industrial commission, so they have overlapping uh, board meetings. And have they come out on this at all on either side? No, they, they really haven't. There's been radio silence, and, and that's one of the frustrating things on behalf of mineral owners. And, and as we note in our brief to the Supreme Court, the, the governor and attorney general both sit on the Industrial Commission that issued an order approving the study, which determined that all these minerals were above the ordinary high water mark, and the state, by virtue of that, had no claim to them. But now you have the land board on which the governor and attorney general also sit, suing my or you know contesting that claim in court the lawsuit that my clients are in the land board is saying they have a claim to these minerals so the 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 issue where it's so very frustrating for a private citizen and a mineral owner like my clients you have two state boards the industrial commission and the land board and two of the the big players if not the biggest players on on both of those entities the governor and the attorney general they're taking opposite positions on this issue and it's further you know the the whole i hate to call it a shakespearean tragedy or, or be you know too melodramatic about it but you know the sorum versus state case where you have uh representative nelson and paul sorum an architect out of fargo suing the state challenging the constitutionality of the, the statute we've been talking about that was just argued a few weeks ago to the supreme court and in that case the state agrees with our position so you've got the state, and that's one of the things we'll raise at the Supreme Court, and we've argued in our briefing, is the state is taking diametrically opposed positions, one position in our case, and the exact opposite position in this Sorum litigation. So that this whole saga, the fact it's gone on for, for you know going on a decade now, and the state can't figure out what the hell it wants to argue on it, and has taken conflicting positions, we're looking forward to, to getting in front of the Supreme Court and hoping to get some clarity. I, I think that's really one thing between you know, whether it's the Petroleum Council operators or mineral, mineral owners. We need that voice for the, from the Supreme Court that's loud and clear and tells the state to knock this stuff off. Okay, two things here. Number one is I'm just writing my notes down from my former uh, political days when I was doing a lot more of the political news back at my, my old uh, stomping grounds. And I'm missing that, man, because what you just said, I think I wrote about six months worth of uh, talk radio down just off of the attorney general and uh, governor. And that's the, that's the second part I want to get into here, which is the keystone copper word you used earlier, I think is probably a pretty good description because I mean, I'm, this again, this is if I was a pundit, okay, if I was a political pundit, I would be all over this, Josh, because you have the governor and you have the attorney general who sit on the land board and they sit on the industrial commission. 
and they might end up suing each other. Is that what you were telling? Yeah, is, it, that, it, is that it, is that is that, that, that what? Is, that is, I'm sorry, but I just had to make sure. Am I if I'm following my notes correctly here? <laughs> yeah, that that's it, it. It sounds absurd to say, but that is the reality of the situation. That the land board is arguing to the Supreme Court that they should be able to challenge the order issued under statute by the Industrial Commission, which means that the land board would have to sue the Industrial Commission on which the governor and attorney general both sit. And if it sounds bonkers and, you know, bad, blank, crazy, it's because it absolutely is. And, and I would love for, for somebody to, to step up. The legislature tried to get it right, but it's the executive branch of government that has screwed the pooch on this and, and letting this get so sideways where they're, they're either one of two things. They're blissfully ignorant and they just don't care and they have their heads so far buried in the sand or they've committed to a course of action and they're showing poor leadership by taking this thing to a conclusion where the ultimate outcome is inescapable. This state does not and cannot, as a matter of law, own these minerals, but they continue to put private mineral owners and, and operators through this. So at, at one point you would think there would be someone in an office in the Capitol somewhere saying enough is enough. How did it ever get to this point? But They've doubled down and they've tripled down and they've quadrupled down and we're to the point where we're going back to the Supreme Court for a second time on this when the Supreme Court was clear in its first decision as to the takings issue, I think, in the application of the statute. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. And if it sounds like there's a lot of frustration in my voice, you know, there there is. I have clients that have lived with this for a decade. I've had clients who have died who have died without being able to enjoy the minerals and the proceeds from the minerals that are rightfully theirs. And as much as I love making money and being a lawyer, I've got clients that are paying me to argue a same position where I know we're right. I know that the law says the state cannot take their minerals, but here we are, you know, going on a decade where the state of North Dakota refuses to drop their claim to the minerals. So, no, we're, we're looking forward to arguing this to the North Dakota Supreme Court. We're looking forward to a decision from the Supreme Court, and we're looking to, we're really looking forward to some finality on it because at the end of the day, enough, enough is enough. Where the, the outcome and the destination we've arrived at is the land board threatening or saying that they might sue the Industrial Commission to challenge this is, is absolutely ludicrous. That is so amazing to me. Like I said, folks, you want to have some good good radio, good podcast, you bring on an attorney because what we're just listening to right here is before the garrison, when was the garrison diversion? The 60s? Was that when it was built? Was the, was the 1960s or 50? When was that garrison diversion built? It, built it, the dam itself was built in the 50s. 50s, okay, a, 50s. I, and, President Eisenhower, one of my favorite presidents, was out uh, out there in uh, Garrison or Riverdale when they did the the initial dirt work back, and I, I want to say it was fifty three or fifty four. Ike was out there for that, and they had a big party. Well, and where I'm going with this is that uh, they, so back in the, those days it was farmland, and then they were going to build this diversion, this dam, and f the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers came in and sited that land. Correct. They, they absolutely did. They and then they, they did. at that time, 
the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had the minerals to your current clients, correct? They, my clients and thousands of other private mineral owners in a very comprehensive and in-depth process where what you're getting at here, the listener who's listening to this right now is going to say that really can't be the case, is it? What is the state doing? That's exactly what they're doing, and this matter had been settled for half a century, and the state was involved in that process where the the Corps of Engineers came in and acquired all the surface and determined where the boundary of the historic river was and determined the takings line for the property they would need to take. And in fact, to, to add another layer of absurdity to this cake of, you know, the half-baked cake the state's trying to take out of the oven, back in 2016 when the state tried to redraw these lines through those Bartlett and West studies and claim all these minerals, the Department of Interior and Bureau of Land Management issued a decision telling the state, you know, in short, they were out of their minds in acting in an illegal manner, trying to redraw these lines. And the state still persisted even in the face of that. Well, where I was going with this is what, what it really seems to me is like what happens when an oil boom, an oil bust happens? Because, you know, we had, what, 20 years without any real oil activity out there. And during that time, a new wave of politicians came in, a new wave of elected officials, a new wave of appointed leaders of, uh, of, of um, boards. Keep in mind, a lot of decisions get made by appointed people, not by elected people, by appointed people. And I, I think what happened here was they, they saw a way to make more money. They saw a way to direct more money to their projects that they wanted to do, and they didn't realize what had happened. And because of the power they have, and they, I mean, like you said, your, your clients are paying you, and a lot of them haven't even paid on these mineral rights. But these government uh, elected officials that are taking these citizens to court they get their checks. They get paid. They get their mortgages paid, no problem. That's where I think the real problem is, is that it's almost like they're bleeding the citizens and they're bleeding, the, they're hemorrhaging them from what has already been proven and awarded to by the Supreme Court. That, that's where it really bothers me is that they, they know they're in the wrong, but it's like they're digging their heels in because they can. Does that, am I out of line for saying that, Josh? No, I, I don't think so. And I, I think there's a, a, you know, when you talk about government and, and private industry, and I don't want to be the guy bashing government because we've got hundreds of, of really good public servants in our state and in our communities. But in this situation, there's been such a failure of leadership and a lacking of accountability where, you know, had this been a, a private business like my law firm or, or any other sort of organization, Someone's ass would have been fired for screwing up like this. You know, you hold people accountable. They can't get away with this stuff. But at uh, state government, you're spot on that there's people appointed to these positions. And they don't have that same sort of accountability or they haven't been held accountable. And I, and I want to read you a, 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 a quick excerpt here. And this is from a March 23rd, 2016 decision by the U.S. Department of Interior telling the state that what they were trying to claim was out of line, and I'm quoting, the core segment maps are firmly grounded in guidance, methodology, and contemporaneous field investigation of the land prior to the effects of flooding. These segment maps are the most comprehensive evidence of the ordinary high watermark prior to the artificial rising to create Lake Sakakawea. The segment maps were the basis 
for millions of dollars of appropriated funds being spent to acquire displaced uplands and were generated with determinations from in-the-field investigations by the BLM, involvement from the BLM, and the state of North Dakota Land Board and have gone uncontested for over 60 years. And the state still persists in light of that. So I, I think when you say, I think it's completely fair to say that there's appointed folks and whether it's advisors and even to a certain extent you know it's like that old harry truman sign on the the roosevelt desk in the oval office the buck stops here at a certain point whether it's the attorney general or governor you've got to walk into an office or go up to the people that work for you and say what the hell is going on we need to fix this and and you know when i say there's been such a failure of leadership here on all levels that's exactly what's happened it should have never ever gone to this point yet here we are getting ready to go back to the supreme court for a second time after private and it's not just my clients that haven't been paid in about a decade it's thousands of other people people i talk to every week whose proceeds from their minerals are being held in suspense because of the state's ludicrous claim to them so correct me if i'm wrong here that this is actually okay this is going to have a ripple throughout these other, these other people as well but um so let's say that you know you guys the the supreme court sides with you again after this appeal so then you you've won once again and then the land department does sue the industrial commission well then what the, the i mean i don't understand how that could even happen and then now I don't understand what that would accomplish because let's say the land board sues the industrial commission that both the attorney general and the governor both sit on. And Helms is, is Helms on the land board too? I don't think so. Is he? No, he's, no. he's not. Cause I was going to say the industrial commission's only three people, right? No. Yep. Correct. Uh, the governor, the AG, and then the egg commissioner, the egg commissioner. That's it. The egg commissioner. Then, um, so that's right. The governor's not even on there. My fault. My fault on that. No, um, the, the governor, the governor's on the industrial commission. It'd be the, uh, governor Burgum, attorney general Stengem, and then, uh, commissioner Goring are the three on the, uh, industrial Oh, that's right. Helms isn't even on that. Yep. That's right. He's not yeah, even he's, on that. He's the executive. Yeah. He's the executive director of the oil. And he's, gas he, he, he's the guy he's that has to do the stuff it. that they say. That's right. Okay. He's the he, regulator. He's got a big voice. <laughs> for sure yeah, okay he, he, he certainly plays a role do you see how confusing this can get and so i i okay so but either what my point is is that the attorney general and the governor sit on the same board here and um if they sue each other well what's that going to accomplish i mean besides spending a bunch of tax money because at the end of the day the whole idea is is they want those minerals that the citizens have had their whole life so if the land board sues the Industrial Commission, I guess, I don't even know what that would solve. And, and here's, here's, here's the kicker to it. That's what they're arguing to the Supreme Court, that the land board should be able to sue and challenge the Industrial Commission. The land board's not going to do that. We all know that. Can, can you imagine the land board filing a lawsuit against the Industrial Commission? I, I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what... Now, there's two different things. There's the land board saying they should be able to do that, and saying they have that right. But at the end of the day, is the land board really going to sue the Industrial Commission? I don't think so, but that's what the land board is arguing they should be able to do. So they're arguing that this thing should be held up for something that 
in all likelihood will never happen because it's it's tough to, to fathom or envision that the land board is actually going to sue the industrial commission when you have two of its you know big ticket members overlapping and sitting on both boards and suing themselves. Well, that's why I, I it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, just the fact that the conversation has been had or the and idea that's what, arguing. That's what the land board yeah. is arguing they're, that, they're arguing they should be able to do that right and that's what i'm saying just the fact that any energy is being expelled towards that is absolutely asinine in my opinion in 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 this reporter's opinion and it's making me want to get back in the political game once again because this is a political year and boy that's like shooting fish in a barrel there i mean that's that's unbelievable to me. I thought it was absolutely hilarious when um, the Western Area Water Supply was, which is a, um, which is kind of a um, uh, political subdivision, you know. And and there's other ones like that as well. That's just the first one off the top of my head. They have a lobbyist, so it's unbelievable when you have uh, government departments that actually have lobbyists to go lobby for more government money. I thought that was bizarre, but now. When you have inner departments talking about suing each other, when more than 50% of the committee is made up by the same people, I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and well, here's <laughs> the interesting thing there is that the attorney general's office is the legal counsel for both of those entities. I know. So there's, o- there's overlap with the attorneys there. So at what point does the attorney general tell his attorneys to knock it off or take charge of this thing? So that's the you know it's it's just layer upon layer of absurdity here where you get down into a a, a legal universe where it's tough. If someone would have told me you know six seven years ago when when I got involved in this case, this is where we would be. I would say hey, there's there's no possible way under the law or facts you can ever end up there, and the state would never argue argue that. But but yet, you know, sometimes life is stranger than fiction, and here we are. This has got all the twists and turns and drama of Law and Order with the comedy of The Office. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really bad John. You know, I'm a big John Grisham fan. I read all of his books. It's, it's a really uh, kind of <laughs> really goofy Grisham plot where you got uh, different folks and, well, the same folks playing different sides of the, of the same angle and, it just gets all convoluted and you have these plot twists. And if, if this were a Grisham book, I probably would have thrown it away after 20 pages saying this is oh, absolutely much crazy. kinder than me. I'm, I'm thinking of a bunch of Steve Carell's from the office trying to run meetings, yeah. trying to just look no, the part. Yeah. And, yep. Just saying, just trying to say the right thing, just coming out with a bunch of cliche sayings to move things along and not even understanding what the, happened in the meeting. And actually I think there's yeah. more, I think there's more evidence for what I just said than what, the actual reality is i mean that's yeah i mean i i just don't get it but all right so let's transition gears here a little bit um obviously you've seen the news when it comes to the stock market the oil prices the coronavirus all the different things that are happening that is creating some problems with the economy and um you know we, we it's not a good time for that but one of the things that does open up is, you know, some people need some contract help. They need some help collecting bills. They need some help, you know, from that sort of thing. Uh, do you guys, Josh, do you do that? I know you ha- you do minerals and, and that sort of thing, and you guys do have a pretty big law firm, so I'm sure you can refer it out if you don't do it. But uh, are you guys getting any calls on that? I'm sure you are when it comes to people that are 
needing help deciphering how to get some bills paid and what does this contract mean that was signed, you know? Yeah, and that's, I think that's, you know, we saw it happen a couple of years ago, and, and Vogel does offer those services, the contract business disputes, collection issues, breach of contract. We, you know, we're a full-service firm with over 50 attorneys, so we've got that covered, and, and I'm involved in that stuff, and that's that's one of the realities when there's a downturn in the market, you know, cash, cash end, ends up um, folks having concerns about whether or not bills are going to get paid before people fold or take off and hightail it out of here. So when, when times are good and everyone's sitting in a pretty good cash position, if you've got, you know, 200 or 300 K in, in accounts, you need to collect from someone who did some work for you or, or whatever, it, it might slide for a while. But then when, when the price of oil starts to drop and there's the, the dark clouds looming on the horizon for the economy, then folks tend to, um, need representation on that so that's that's something we're familiar with something we work in and if there's listeners out there that are needing representation they're welcome to give us a call on that but that's one of the realities with you know any sort of not just oil but any sort of market where you have a more boom bust commodity where it's up and down and there's fluctuations there's different work on the front end of it there's different work during you know peak development or the last you know, probably 18 to 24 months where things were pretty stable. And then when you get to, uh, a trough in the market where things bottom out a little bit, it's a, a different kind of work that needs to, to be done from a business perspective on that. Well, and I talked to a guy earlier in the finance world because, you know, he does some non-traditional independent type loans because the banks are tightening up right now. You know, they're, they're actually making energy companies go back and get a new certification. And at a time when slow pay is a real problem, and when stocks are down, you know, there's a need for some alternative financing. Just like, you know, what we said for about you with some of the contract disputes, the breach of contracts, that's a real thing. And that's one of the things that happens during, you know, the ebbs and flows of the market. I remember talking to Kevin Pfeiffer at uh, Pfeiffer Auction when the uh, first downturn came in the Bakken. And he actually, he felt bad because a lot of companies that he sold property to five years later he was selling it away from him because you know they lost it or they needed to sell it you know and so he was making money during the good times and the bad times and it dawned on him you know that even during the bad times and he was making money it's, he still felt bad about it but it's still there and um yeah no one and no one certainly wants to all of us whether it's you know you me anyone in the game we'd much rather see the the markets on the other side of it and things going well because that's that's better for the economy writ large uh you know folks are spending money they're hiring there's job creation and folks aren't getting laid off or, or fired and and we saw you know the the downside of it a few years ago when things bottomed out all the job loss and and that's something that nobody wants but that's that's a reality where when you talk about the the alternative financing and banks tightening up, and and that's it's one of those things about the economy. You know, we saw it with the markets earlier this week. Panic is the the worst thing that could happen. Then you have a sell off, and folks start getting anxious, and then that that lack of confidence can have such a disastrous effect and on the market. And I and I don't need to tell you that, but you know, I, I think that the concern here, and I've heard folks, you know, we mentioned Lynn Helms earlier. I've seen him out there talking about it and and i've seen other individuals in the the industry out there um 
you know, people are paying attention and everyone's hoping for the, the best, but, you know, there's an element of you have to prepare for, for every contingencies and hopefully the Saudis and the Russians will get things figured out. But, you know, I, I would say, the, you know, where we're sitting right now, it has an impact on our business because it impacts our clients and, and we care about our clients and we'd rather see the market doing a lot better than it is because it, it certainly has an impact on communities from Williston to Dickinson to Crosby, Watford City, Bismarck, and all the way to Fargo where, you know, I'm talking to you from my outlaw office and it impacts what I'm doing. Now, you're stationed in North Dakota, so you do a lot of work primarily with the Bakken and mineral owners and, and oil and gas companies with the Bakken, but you've got clients all over the country, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, you know, in fact, the, the majority of clients that I have, you know, there's a lot of them that I don't meet face-to-face or person-to-person it's all over the phone and they're located not just all over the country but all over the world and and of course I've got clients a lot of farmers and ranchers and even energy companies and service providers in North Dakota but that's that's one of the things with with this uh, commodity the oil and gas industry there's folks from all over that that have an interest in it and and they're Amongst my clients, I'm glad to represent them. I'm, I'm looking at one of my office shelves, and I get, you know, Christmas cards and graduation cards and thank you cards, and I just kind of stack them up on my shelves, and they're from all corners of the country. All right, just before we uh, let you go, I need to find out what's going on in the world of podcasting because, folks, not only is he an attorney, but he's also a podcaster. He does the North Dakota State podcast, the NDSU Bison podcast, if you will, Primarily football, but I know that uh, you also get into the basketball world, and I think the Bison are um, in the finals for the Summit League Championship as we're speaking right now. At least I saw they won the other night in Sioux Falls. And um, are you still doing the podcast? Yeah, yeah, we uh, we're still doing it. And in fact, the uh, the Bison beat the University of North Dakota eighty nine to fifty three. Laid a thirty six point beat down on UND to win the Summit League Championship to punch their ticket to March Madness. So Dave Richmond and, and the boys will be back playing in the NCAA tournament. They'll find out here on Selection Sunday coming up in a few days who they'll play. But, yeah, the Bison are back in the NCAA tournament, and, and I still got, uh, you know, you talk about podcasting, I'm still doing the weekly radio show, The Herded Here with Swanee on uh, KFGO Sister Station, 740 AM, The Fan, and we're, we're tentatively, you know, I just talked to one of the guys from the station this morning. We're, we're planning uh, potential road trips, coverage options to follow the Bison and broadcast from wherever they're playing from. But the uh, coronavirus issue and the NCA, how they're going to handle that at different locations will play a role. But, yeah, we're still doing that, and we're still having a really good time covering the Bison. And then what can you say about, you know, Dave Richmond's squad? They 25 and 8 in the regular season going back to the NCAA tournament just such a remarkable job by him. I didn't even realize the University of North Dakota was in the Summit League for basketball. I didn't I didn't even know that. Um I I knew they were yeah, in Yeah, they just they just jumped from the Big Sky a couple of years ago. I think okay. their second full second full year here in the Summit. Yeah. So, look at that. My alma mater, NDSU, they're going to be playing in the uh, North uh, the March Madness tournament and uh are they expected to get you know, a 12 seed or a 15 seed, or are they looking at maybe as much as a 10? I don't know. I mean, my guess is they'd probably be a 14 or 15. 
Yeah, if, if you if I had to put money on it, I'd say they they'd probably end up on that fourteen line, especially with how they ended the regular season. They're they're something like twelve and one in their last thirteen games oh. going back to January. Yeah, they've had had a, had a really good stretch. They beat East Tennessee State, who is one of the better teams in mid major basketball. Mid East Tennessee beat LSU earlier this year. The Bison beat East Tennessee. So with the 36-point win in a conference championship game, the, the fact that that was nationally broadcast, and you've got guys, anytime you can put up 89 points and have guys, you know, it's not just one guy carrying the load for NDSU. I think that's what makes him so dangerous. you got Vinny Shahid and Tyson Ward that could play at most Power 5 schools. But then you've got guys like Jared Samuelson and Rocky Cruiser and Cam Hunter and, and Sam Greasel who can come off and knock down big shots from you and score when your main guys aren't scoring. And, and you need that to, to put up 89 points like the Bison did. But what makes them really dangerous, Jason, is they can play lockdown defense. That's the bread and butter of a Dave Richmond team. They are so fundamentally sound on the defensive end that if they can get, if they can avoid that 15 line, if they can get up to the 14 line or even the 13 line, they got a chance to, to win some games in March Madness, and, and you know, folks might call me crazy. They've got the potential, the way they can shoot the ball from the perimeter, the way Tyson Ward and Vinny Shahid can get to the rim and get to the free throw line, the way they convert on those free throws, and the way they play defense. This team, if they knock down shots, they can hang with anybody, and we've seen it in March. We've seen 10 seeds and 11 seeds make it to the Sweet 16 and even the Elite Eight. So. Stay tuned because the buys in this team, this team's got parts where they could put together a run here in the next few weeks. I'm going to predict a 13 seed for them based on the just what you mentioned, their streak they're on. I think the tournament is going to, the selection committee is going to take that into consideration because they love the upsets. They love the, the 10 to 13 uh, upsets. Those, those ones are great because they'll make it to the Sweet 16, and you know as well as I do, at the end of the day, it's, Two of the number ones in the final four, and usually a three and a two. Uh, every now and then, a four or a five gets in there, but generally, it's the top three ranked, you know, teams in each division. One of them get in there, and uh, but it's fun. I mean, every team's got a shot. I mean, I've Valparaiso man, Homer Drew, back when I was a kid. That's what I remember making shots, making it to the Sweet Sixteen, and Jim uh, uh, Valvano with uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, looking for someone to hug, and yeah. Look at yeah. who who's who can I hug and no one will hug me. He's just looking for someone. It's great, but well, all right, man. We better um. Yama in Houston. Oh yeah. We better uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want some uh, legal help on the uh, mineral side or the debt servicing and the contract disputes, if you will. And then we'll talk about uh, where they can get your podcast too. So on the legal side, where can they find you? They can find us at VogelLaw.com. That's V-O-G. L-A-W.com. They can also give us a call at 701-237-6983. That's 701-237-6983. And we'll get them, uh, whatever their need is, we'll get them to the right person. And the podcast is available how? It's on the radio and online. Is that correct? Yeah, radio and online on Apple iTunes. Search Buys and Illustrated Podcast. You can also find us on Google Play and SoundCloud or check out Buys and illustrated.com and for the uh, radio show on the terrestrial radio heard it here with swanee every saturday morning from 8 to 9 a.m on 740 a.m the fan 
107.3 FM, and they can listen online at 740thefan.com. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota Nomad. Some have even called me the Shale Play Prophet via our studio inbox. And if you'd like to email us, you can go ahead and email me, jason at thecrudelife.com. Provolone actually has an assignment to set up studio at thecrudelife.com, and he's learning. He's, it's taken him about a month. He, he set up the email address. He just doesn't know how to find it yet. So it has to do with some cPanel stuff and some behind-the-scenes things. What Provolone is learning here, by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in for one of the first times here, Provolone is our entitled intern. He came to us through Mama and Papa Oil and Gas Company. So uh, his parents, Provolone's parents, they own a uh, mild-mannered, you know, a modest-sized oil and gas company. And they were a little bit concerned that their child, Provolone, was majoring in entitlement at the university. So they asked if we could take him on as an intern. And I said, absolutely, we'll take on some help. We need help. We need to figure out how to make two bucks into five bucks. Actually, it's 10 bucks now. So how can we do that? Well, having some you know, manual labor around really helps out. So what Provolone is learning is that when there's an issue with the web, like you either got to pay a lot of money to somebody to get that fixed or you got to do it yourself. And here at The Crude Life, we really do it ourselves because you know we don't have the big bucks. We don't get money from the state of North Dakota. We don't get money from the petroleum councils. We don't get that. No. We have to figure out how to be scrappy. When you don't get the fifty dollars to $150,000 government subsidy checks every year to pay your bills and go to the fine dining restaurants to wine and dine with all the big shots, you got to be scrappy. And Provolone's finding that out. And one of those ways you got to find out is, you know, somebody actually has to set up the email. Now, I know how to do it, and I'm fine. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time with Jason at thecrudelife.com. I get plenty of emails every day, and I understand studio at thecrudelife.com is easier. I get that, but I don't want to check it. And Provolone, you know, to his credit, he is right. The image, the brand, etc. it would be better, if not best, to have studio at thecrudelife.com. But we don't have that. We do, but we don't have it hooked up yet, Provolone, because we don't have the thousands of dollars just to write a check out to the IT guy to come by for a day, okay? We've got to figure it out for ourselves. So that means you got to watch a YouTube video. You got to get a little scrappy. You got to put, you know, it's a bootstrap, baby. It's bootstrap time. The crude life was made for this. We used to sleep in a Winnebago and do this show live from... The Bakken on an hour's sleep with a seatbelt wedged in our back, man. We're getting back to those times again. 
By the way, those people that do get all the big checks that are supposed to be advocates for the industry out there being the eyes and the ears, where have they been, by the way? I haven't seen them anywhere since this COVID-19 shutdown. They put out a few guidelines and things like that, but I mean, they should be on the front lines. We've got an email out about every petroleum council in the United States right now, and I'll tell you what, it's like crickets. It's like crickets. Again, there's a governor in Colorado calling the oil and gas essential, not even uh, several months after declaring a war on oil and gas. The coronavirus pandemic and the COVID-19 shutdown has garnered more climate change articles than positive oil and gas articles. That's what I don't understand. How is that happening? So I'm not trying to come across negative. I'm not trying to come across as combative. I'm not trying to pick a fight here. All I'm asking is that, where are they? Where are they? Right now is when they should be all over the place because they have the most time on their hands. But that's just my humble opinion here with my esoteric approach to energy because I do believe that we are energy united. I believe that we can unite energies together. And because as our Earth's champion Johnny Green says, you can't have renewables without fossil fuelables. One of the reasons we sponsor the Earth's champion by the way, folks, uh, Chris Cottrell, Winston, and Strawn coming up in just a second or two. And I do want to pronounce that Strawn, S-T-R-A-W-N, like Braun, Strawn. Sometimes it's with the covered O up here in the Dakotas. Uh, it can get mixed up, kind of like y'all down south. You know, sometimes you get a little bit of a, a ribbon about y'all. Same thing up here in, oh, don't you know, up in Fargo. Oh, yeah, don't you know. Thank you, movie. By the No, not that Fargo ruined our lives up here in North Dakota. No, it put us on the map, really. I used to tell people this all the time when I would travel, you know, that uh, back when the movie came out, I would, I would do some travel and that sort of stuff. I used to do a lot of business with newspapers. And so what would happen is I would get into a town and nobody would remember my name. They would remember Jason. They wouldn't remember Jason Spies. They would remember, oh yeah, the guy from Fargo or Jason from Fargo. I was like some piece of exotic fruit to these people. Like, oh, Fargo exists? I just thought that was made up like the magical world of Narnia or the Neverland Ranch. Anyway, so... Interesting. Uh, there's a little bit from Fargo there, folks. All right. Do we have Chris Cottrell? All right. I see Provolone through FaceTime is giving me the thumbs up that Chris Cottrell is ready from Winston and Strawn to talk about force majeure. And uh, we need to patch him through. So we're going to be ready to go here, folks. And we're going to get a mic level check in three, two, one, then right into the interview, if you wouldn't mind. Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Wanted to ask you about a few things involved with uh, some legal activity involved in the oil and gas industry. Uh, force majeure, majeure, uh, that's been a term that's popped up in some headlines I've seen. And I did see it trickle into the oil and gas industry the other day. Originally, I saw it in the NBA. Uh, I follow sports, so I saw it in the NBA as a as a way not to pay players was actually the way it came up in the headline. And then, like I said, I saw it in the oil and gas world, and I thought, oh, boy, I better get an attorney on here to talk about that because my guess is, is that it was going to come up, and it has something to do with natural disasters and uh, some things, uh, force of uh, God, that sort of thing. And then also... Uh, Chris Cottrell, we've talked about some uh, M&A activity in the past. 
And this is going to be a little bit of a pop quiz, and uh, he's not prepared for this, but he also is a pro, so he knows what's going on. He's an attorney. He knows what he can and cannot say. So I'm going to ask him his uh, have his crystal ball for a minute when it comes to some M&A activity, mostly just because uh, Whiting filed a uh, uh, bankruptcy, uh, something or another. This I don't know what chapter or what version, but uh, I, I know they filed something. So anyway, that's a little bit of a preview. And uh, Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, Jason. I just want to uh, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be on and also want to uh, uh, take a moment uh, right now to uh, tell the audience that I hope they're staying safe uh, in their homes and also to all those that have been uh, laid off or furloughed. Uh, you know, we're, we're all thinking about you. Uh, you're not alone. And uh, I, I, I'm, we're all looking for uh, this thing to, to let us so we can go back to work. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit before we got on the air about the home office environment. You know, I've been doing it for since the early 2000s, uh, being a journalist and a, and a podcaster, talk show host, remote nomad, if you will. Uh, when we're taking a look at something to do with the the legal side of things, I would imagine for you it was a pretty simple transition as well. You know, it, it, it certainly, from a technology perspective, it, it was pretty seamless for me. Um, but, you know, everything uh, uh, takes some getting used to, especially when it, when people have, uh, you know, their schedule and routines, and all of a sudden uh, nobody has a schedule or routine, and, and we're kind of in each other's way. That's certainly something uh, that I think we're all, you know, trying to deal with and, and kind of uh, – Take day by day. Wanted to ask you about the coronavirus, too. You mentioned that. Uh, I'm not sure if your office is open, if you guys are, are bringing in appointments, you know, one at a time or sanitizing offices or, or anything like that. Just take an opportunity, talk about if you guys are accepting business right now, if you guys are having people at your office or you're just doing teleconference type thing. What uh, are, is your guys' work environment life like, and how are you guys currently making money? <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's a good good question. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, the firm's uh, very concerned about the employees, the staff, um, and their safety is of utmost concern. So, um, you know, we, we've decided to be ultra-cautious and – go ahead and close our offices. Um, and, and of course there, there is some, some staff still coming into the office to the extent that their, their, their presence is required in the office. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, cut everybody, uh, out of the office, but for the most part, everybody's working from home. Um, we've been, our technology group has been really incredible, uh, helping us, uh, you know, get the tools that we need to take conference calls to, uh, you know, continue to, to do business and uh, continue to counsel our clients. So we're, we're continuing to take calls. We're trying to put as much content out as possible. We're trying to foresee, anticipate legal issues, uh, trying, to, trying to obviously reach out to our clients, you know, first and foremost, make sure they're safe, make sure that they're uh, – that, that they have everything they need and, 
just just doing a doing a, a checkup but then obviously we're, we're here to help them uh think about some of the the difficulties that they're they're facing as as we uh progress through this this virus i i would imagine attorneys are going to be you know busy everything from you know updating wills to checking real estates to you know to, to checking rental properties all kinds of th- different things as people are I always say people are putting everything on the table right now and they're trying to figure out what to take off and what's rationally to take off. And that's why we're going to get to force majeure in just a second. But uh, you and I have talked about some M&A activity in the past, haven't we? Do, is it, do, do I have my interviews right here? Yeah, we, we talked a lot about uh, energy M&A. I, like, Hopefully like, nobody goes back and, and listens to him because I, I, I was wrong on oil prices and such like that. But well, I, I, I think, think everybody was on that. So yeah. it's, you know, yeah. we, and including, you know, some some big big panels, you know, like um, F- Federal Reserves and everything like that. You know, they, they, they had a whole different outlook for this year. But then Russia, Saudi Arabia, of course, the coronavirus, it, it's the one-two supply-demand shock that happened. So... You know, I'm thinking about you know attorneys and and you know M and A activity and and contracts disputes and all kinds of different things. I mean, you guys are going to be busy from all kinds of different angles and all kinds of different um, uh, realities that are happening. Uh, when I look at the M and A activity, we're coming off of you know today with Whiting's bankruptcy uh, notification. I don't even know what. It's a rescheduling or a reshuffling a debt. I'm not sure what the chapters are or anything, but I'm not, you know, picking on them. They just happen to be in the news today. We knew this was coming. We knew that this was some things that we were going to see. You know, the, the Whiting example, they, they posted their debt back in November. So that's why a lot of people were watching it so closely. Uh, talk to me about some of the M&A activity that you're going to see over the next, you know, Whatever. I mean, we were going to see it anyway, but now with the coronavirus, I would imagine we'll probably see more, won't we? Well, you know, I think we, we've we've had that that uh, kind of uh, we've we've been talking about it for so long, and we we're, we've been saying, you know, we need a wave of restructuring, and we need a wave of consolidation in the, in the industry, and it really, you know, with the exception of a few a few deals that happen. We haven't really seen it come to fruition. Uh, so obviously I think there's a lot of pent up demand and this is certainly forcing people's hands at this point. So what, what we're anticipating uh, uh, happening is that, that, you know, for, first and foremost, oil and gas companies still have a lot of assets. They still have a lot of things that they can optimize. So we think, that there's going to be downstream produced water assets. They get spun out uh, to raise additional capital. There's royalty assets that could get spun out and also obviously midstream uh, gathering assets that, that we think uh, could still get spun out to generate extra cash. So that's, that's the opportunity that we're seeing. Um, I, I think the second thing that we're, we're going to see is obviously these, these bankruptcies, uh, you know, th- there's there's restructuring opportunities. So hopefully, lenders work with oil and gas uh, uh, operators to try to uh, you know rework all the all the debt and and make it to where uh, 
uh, oil and gas operators can actually uh, operate in this environment. To the extent that that doesn't happen, then obviously there's there's a liquidation, and at that point there's a there's a forced sale of the assets. So uh, last year, our firm worked on the White Star uh, bankruptcy matter, and that was a, a a liquidation. So they call it they call it a 363 sale. That's kind of the term. And, uh, and it's a set, it's this provision bankruptcy code uh, that, that covers how, how that process happens. But effectively, you know, uh, the assets get put up in, a, in an auction and, you know, there's bidding procedures and rules and, and basically assets go to the highest bidder. And, you know, the, the nice thing about that process is that even though a lot of these, these assets – uh, do you have liens on them? They, they have a lot of issues from a from a debt perspective. Um, that process allows these assets to be traded, basically free and clear, uh, to to the buyer. And it's a very unique uh, tool that that people have. And it actually, you know, in theory, could make a lot of assets a lot more attractive. So when I'm looking at somebody like Whiting who filed today, and it looks like Chapter 11, Bankruptcy Protection in the Bankruptcy Court of the Southern District of Texas, okay, uh, what, what does that mean? What, is the, what, what does Chapter 11 mean, I guess? There's, isn't there a chap, there's Chapter 7, there's Chapter 11, and then there's certain protections and not certain protections. Um, which one's personal, which one's business, which one means you're done, which one means you can restructure, that sort of thing? Well, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a bankruptcy expert by any means. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought it's, um, I thought that was something in your wheelhouse. I apologize. But we, well, yeah, Dan McGuire uh, at our firm is kind of uh, really one of the head guys uh, that deals with bankruptcies, and, and he gave a great talk. Uh, yesterday on on this stuff um, but you know effectively my the high level is that chapter 11 is uh, restructuring okay so, and, and that's what I was looking for was the high level yeah yeah so they're, they're attempting to, to reorganize uh, okay basically move debt, move, you know basically convert some of the debt load they have get some forgiveness and get lower interest on the remaining uh, remaining debt. Okay. So that's what that is there. Okay. And then there's, um, that's, that's not the one that where they just, they're, they're just done. They dissolve. You mentioned something about li liquidation of assets before as, as one of the avenues. And that's, I suppose, if they don't get things taken care of, but that's not where we're at. I just was trying to get my handle on which ones were which. So, okay. Um, and, and chapter seven is a liquidation. So that, that's seven. a high level. Okay. Yeah. Chapter eleven, chapter seven. All right. So let's let's transition. And, and by the way, I mean, what, what, once you get into the process, I mean, obviously, you know, people want to hold on to their jobs and hold on to their assets and try to get, you know, survive another day. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the the lenders there, there could be some difficulties in reorganizing the stuff and. and could get forced into a liquidation and um does this you know, does this make them more uh attractive to get purchased does this make them can they be um 
Is that involved at all in, in this? So, I mean, yeah, I, I would say if, if you're, if you've got a bunch of unpaid liens that you have to deal with before you can sell your assets, right? I mean, especially with mechanics liens, right? If you, if you have an oil gas operator, I'm sorry, a drilling company that's going out and drilling wells and they haven't been paid. Well, obviously you're going to have to pay the liens off before you can transfer the assets or whoever the transferee is ends up assuming uh, any of these liabilities that are out there. You know, this is a way for the assets to get transferred free and clear. So obviously, you know, there, there's there's royalty payment issues. There's there's various issues, gathering issues that, that, that the operator could have historical uh, liens from. And so, yeah, it would make uh, things more attractive if they obviously didn't have the liens and, and they were kind of uh, went through this this liquidation process. Yeah, when you mentioned earlier about some of the royalty assets and a few other things, I thought, you know, from from just a sheer business standpoint, you know, if somebody's oil prices are down, obviously that's a good time to buy because when, when they go up, then you're, you've you made money. So this, to me, would be very similar. So Buy, um, buy low, sell high, right? That, that's right. That's, that's where my mind was, you know. And, but again, very unfortunate news, obviously. You, you've been... On social media, just like I have, you're seeing there are you know layoffs happening. People are looking for for work, that sort of thing. Um, let's talk about you know something a little bit different, I guess. Let's talk about that force majeure that is happening and in some other industries. And now we're starting to see it a little bit in in the oil and gas industry. And talk to me a little bit about that, uh, what this is, how this kind of ended up in some contracts, because I went back and even looked at some of my contracts from, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and it's in there. You know, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's pretty standard. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's pretty standard in the industry. Um, and obviously, you know, the way the way the rule works is different state by state. But the big picture is, uh, that force majeure is is basically a situation where the one of the parties in the oil and gas would be the lessee, obviously the operator. Uh, something happens uh, to the lessee that's beyond their control, that isn't foreseeable, and so they're forgiven from uh, you know certain obligations that they have under the contract for a certain period of time until that event gets uh gets resolved or goes away right and so as you mentioned you know acts of god things like that uh you know lightning strikes earthquakes uh things like that are typically what are uh, what are covered um this is a unique situation you know obviously no one wrote their contract coronavirus (laughs) uh so you know, in Texas, it's a it's it's going to be a challenge in certain situations because courts in Texas look strictly at the contract language, and uh, they want the parties they want the contract to govern. So, if if force majeure is something that that should be in place, typically they want to see the the language in the contract, and uh, you know, here to take it to the next level that. Uh, you know, they want to see some language around, you know, something like epidemic 
so, something that's like that that would that would encompass the coronavirus situation that we have right now. So mm-hmm. to the extent that that people don't have that language, then the the question is is was this foreseeable? Was this a foreseeable event? Um, and and so that's going to be a question that we don't have the answer to right now. Well, and that that was one of the questions I was going to ask you was. Um epidemic and pandemic if this is something that is needed in the contract or if this is something that say the state has to officially label it as um for example in 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 my backyard north dakota uh just got awarded the presidential decree for uh declaring emergency assistance you know it's a process you have to go through and, you know, they're not even shut down. The golf course is open today in North Dakota, and they're getting federal assistance for, you know, economic disaster. I mean, it's kind of funny but I'm, when, when they happen on the same day. But um, when it comes to the, some of the terminology, you know, you mentioned the epidemic, and I imagine pandemic would be a, a, a similar word. Does that have to be in the actual contract, or does that have to be, you know, the language officially decreed by the government? So that I think that's a fair point. I mean, it, it, if you want the the contract to be a home run, obviously it'll have the language epidemic. Or did I just make you a half a million dollars for arguing next year for somebody? Because that's a good point. <laughs> well, it, it's something that we've all yeah. I mean, I think it's a great point. Uh, obviously, I think I think we're we're all in agreement with you that this is yeah, a lot of the language in there talks about government orders or regulations. And to the extent that you're prevented from doing something because of a government intervention or a change in rules, then obviously, um, you know, that's exactly what this provision would, would typically cover. And so, you know, we, I was talking to a client yesterday and, you know, if the Texas Railroad Commissioner, one of them is listening to this, I, I would, you know, strongly urge them to, um, to, to, to declare some kind of order um, so so these operators can have a backstop and be protected from from someone saying, hey, this is not a force majeure, right? I mean, I think it, any kind of governmental declaration uh, really, really strengthens the case, um, you know. And then obviously, if, if that doesn't happen, then I, I, I hope that a lot of people have good relations with their landowners. I hope that they, they've done the right thing, that they, they've shown integrity and that they can make these tough calls and, and try to work, work with the landowners, uh, to, to get some kind of resolution. Are, are you seeing any of these pop up yet? I'm, I'm reading about cases in Europe and, um, you know, like I said, I'm seeing headlines, happen where it's kind of happening i'm seeing some well i'm looking here in canada it looks like it's popping up too a little bit obviously you're seeing them come across your news briefings too that sort of thing so um is this that was a great mention to the texas railroad commission this to me seems like something that is uh more on a proactive nature i guess yeah absolutely um yeah, that would be a, a proactive position. I mean, they, they've um, I just got the call with somebody uh, before this call, and we were talking about, you know, they're, they're partially 
and Pioneer are two big operators in the Midland Basin here in Texas, and they've they've written a letter to the commissioners requesting that they uh, enact, you know, proration or volumetric restrictions uh, on on producers um, to try to stabilize the supply and demand dynamic. So um, we're, we're starting to see, you know, people trying to be proactive and trying to get uh, as much relief from the, the commission as possible. I, I'd like to even point this out, too, is the reason I, I wanted to have you on, uh, Chris Cottrell, by the way, um, is is to kind of help guide through this because not only is it confusing for an attorney, but it's very conf- confusing for an average layman. Like, I was just looking down at my notes, and I wrote down disruption event, and then I wrote, you know, loan next to it. And I don't even know what that means. But I, I know that it's it's something that is not quite force majeure, but it's underneath it in some way or another. So it, I, I was going to ask you if, if those words mean anything to you in the world of oil and gas, because I guess I was trying to do some notes on it. And I came across this something to do with a, a loan model form, and it, it has to do with the disruption event. And I don't know, know if that's... Uh, Getting too far into the weeds, I guess. Yeah, so uh, so a big issue right now that everyone's talking about are um, okay. So right now, we obviously, uh, as an industry, have have borrowed a lot of money to drill oil and gas wells uh, in anticipation that prices would improve over a period of time, and that just hasn't come to fruition, and so. Um, now, in this situation, we're seeing companies that are that, that maybe I mean, there's three three issues, right? There's there's your immediate near term liquidity, right? Whether or not you have money in the bank just to pay everyday bills, pay your pay your employees. So that that's one uh, aspect of, of the, the, the money situation. Then the second aspect is, you know, what what loans are coming up that are due and and, and that large, that they require large payments can you get extensions can you can you borrow the money from somebody else to pay that loan off so that that's one that's a second aspect the third aspect is okay overall big picture how many loans do i have out there what does my debt situation look like and so you know, related to the third aspect, there were some some loans that operators took, uh, and they're called RBL loans, and they're they're reserve that stands for reserve based lending. And what banks do is that they they basically over a certain period of time, they they loan you money based on what they believe the reserve is worth at at certain periods of time, and. That re- that process requires something that's called a redetermination. They've redetermined the amount that the re- reserves are worth, and obviously, the the determinations are currently going to happen. They're 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 coming up, and now is not not a good time to get redetermined at a historically low price, because obviously, you know, you're you're sitting there with with all this money that's owed uh, under a value of $50 a barrel and 
you know, three or four weeks later, you're at 20. And so you, you're going to get a situation where the oil and gas operator owes, uh, you know, in some cases, a substantial amount of money back towards the, the bank to stay within, you know, the covenant, they call them covenants, but basically your, your financial restrictions, what, what you're supposed to stick to, what you told them you're going to stick to as far as how much debt you have versus how much your company's worth. And, and so that's coming up and it's, it's, it's a big issue right now. I, I think so as well. Um, you know, I'm just, I was just doing a Google search right now, you know, the force majeure and, and a lot of these are talking about how this is an issue that's coming. So I, I can see where being proactive on this is really going to help navigate the waters, I guess, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, are, are, are they even booking court cases right now? I mean, the courts are shut down, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I think that's exactly right. So I mean, I mean, you could sue anybody all day long, but you can't get a court date, can you? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of, you know, only the most urgent cases are getting getting uh, hearings right now. You know, to the extent you can get a hearing, they're all virtual. Um, I mean, that's my understanding. And so, you know, obviously, I'm not a litigator, but yeah, I mean, the line is getting exponentially longer at this point in time. But I mean, the, I imagine like like we talked about the contract law and the due diligence parts are are imagine just busy as as a as a beaver or busy as can be that sort of thing. So, um, just kind of I guess summarizing the force majeure um, and what the correct pronunciation is for that as well. Um, what just kind of I guess give give a little. Uh, summary about that what people should be considering and thinking about when they start seeing that term come up in the oil and gas headlines like like we've been seeing over the last few weeks yeah i mean i think i think that um you know honestly and i think you know obviously these, these operators have, took oil and gas leases they've developed them they've they've put money into them and they want to do everything they can to uh, get through the current uh, environment. And obviously we all think that that's going to happen. Uh, once, once the coronavirus issue goes away, um, there's, there's still people driving, there's still people flying, there's still a lot, a lot of petroleum based uh, transactions going on. So, you know, I think for, the big picture, if I'm an operator, I want to be reviewing all my leases, start with the highest value leases first. And uh, to the extent that I don't have really strong language or I'm, I'm concerned about it, um, you know, reach out to your uh, outside counsel to get an opinion, see see what the state-specific issues, things that you should be thinking about are. Um, and... Obviously, to the extent that that there's any concerns that remain, then I think it would be wise to be proactive, start reaching out to landowners, and uh, start start trying to work work through some of these issues, get extensions, get get amendments that um, basically where both parties agree that yeah you know, they're going to put things on hold in light of the tough situation that we're all in right now. Chris Cottrell, uh, Winston and Strawn, with an N, correct? Strawn? 
That's right. And um, just kind of wrapping up here, talking about some of the M&A activity happening today as we're doing this interview. Whiting had their uh, bankruptcy notice, Chapter 11. They're going to do some restructuring. Uh, Jim Cramer and a lot of the pundits have come out and said this is just the start uh, we talked about the one-two, kind of the shock that happened, the, the Russia, Saudi Arabia, OPEC shock, and then the coronavirus shock. So you had a supply shock, a demand shock. I'm looking at your LinkedIn page right now. And True Grit, lessons from the U.S. energy industry from the last tech bubble. That's it looks like your featured story. I don't know if you wrote that or if, if it looks like you wrote that. So uh, I did want to ask you about, you know, the – the tech side of things, because really when you look at where the industry seems to be going, the one thing that seems to be pretty clear, though, is there is going to be a new normal of technology when this is all said and done. Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities between what we're going through right now in the, in the tech bubble. And I, I you know, obviously, Back then, you had a lot of pundits saying that companies weren't worth anything. Uh, you had big stock fallout, uh, literally trillions of dollars wiped out. And But, you know, from that event, there was a lot of great technology that was developed. And, you know, it, it laid the foundation for, you know, increased connectivity, connectivity that we all have today with the Internet. Uh, with the social media stuff that we have, all the videos that we have, the, the instantaneous connections that we have, were all laid at that time, right? And so you didn't have the numbers of people that adopted that technology that you do today, right? And so I, I think, I think you know, if I, I, I wish I had I had a a, a magic ball to, to see the future, but if what I expect to happen is that, you know, there's a lot of great technology out there. Um, there'll be a lot more emphasis on adopting it, trying to get smarter about how we produce oil and gas, uh, try to do it, you know, obviously with, with less cost, let less, uh, staff and, and try to be as efficient as possible. Um, and so obviously I think technology is going to play a big factor. Um, I don't see demand going away uh, within the next you know, 20, 30 years. Um, the population is going to continue to grow. And, you know, you still have a lot of uh, economies around the world that are uh, evolving and growing and, and they need, you know, access to energy to do that. And, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, majority of the population just can't go out and buy a Tesla. And uh, so right now, the, you know, oil and gas is, is you know, what, one of the best uh, sources of reliable energy in the world. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I think we're going to need in, in, in the near future. So it's not going away, um, but we certainly do have to get smarter about how we do things. Appreciate you coming on, talking about some of the force majeure and some of the uh, legal aspects that we're going to be seeing probably in the energy world at least over the summer helping us with some 
M&A activity as well. So uh, talk to people about how you're making money these days and how people can get in touch with you if they want to, you know, engage in some business activity with you. So what we talked uh, earlier about uh, buy low, sell high. So obviously, um, you know, there's opportunity in every every situation. And, and clearly there's a lot of people that think there's opportunity now. Um, so we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, stay in front of our, our clients, try to help our existing clients get through the, the certain, the, the uncertainty that they're facing right now. Um, you know, obviously trying to get in front of, uh, new clients that are, that think it's a great time to jump in, um, which obviously can't think of a better time than historically low, uh, commodity prices to, to get in buy assets. So just trying to stay in front of people and then, you know, obviously trying to help uh, people think outside the box, how they can partner up with uh, the right partners to uh, get deals done, uh, think think creatively, um, you know, generate some cash flow, try to keep jobs in place, try to think long term, uh, you know, try to try to help stabilize the situation. Uh, you know, reviewing contracts, reviewing, you know, all kinds of things just to try to get some assurance and certainty in this, in this environment. So it's a tough time, but I think, you know, obviously we're, we're really well positioned as a firm. We have incredible talent and, uh, you know, I think, I think that we're going to deliver a lot of value. And once the dust settles, I think, uh, that a lot of our clients are, are, are still going to be around because, you know, we, we, we're all working together and, and trying to resolve all these issues. So, Well, I tell I'm people all the time, you know, there's still a lot of money out on the planet. It's just, you know, usually in these types of situations, it does get centralized a, a little bit. And so you just got to go and figure out how to build a better mousetrap, how to make a better steak sandwich, and figure out that what the demand is because you know it's not like the money disappears it just you know it's just ebbing and flowing and shuffling around and etc really like you mentioned you got to be creative you got to figure out a way to get it back out in the marketplace if that makes sense yeah absolutely i mean i i think look at the end of the day you know the the your character is really determined not by the, the, the situations where everything's going great, right? And you're winning. It's, it's the situations where you're losing and you're facing adversity. That That's really when you determine someone's true character. You know, and, and are, are you going to be a quitter? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to do it the American way, right? And you are you going to get out there and, and figure out how to make it work and how to win and how to take it to the next level? And, you know... Time and time again, this country has proven that that we have the smartest and most talented people in the world. And I'm every day I wake up, I'm just excited uh, to be here, to live here, and I, I know that we're all going to figure it out together. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. 
the model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. That's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. Thank you, folks, for tuning in and joining us. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota Nomad. Provolone is our entitled intern. He's coming to us through the university, but actually, he's on a little bit of a hiatus right now, so he's coming to us via FaceTime, but that's all right, over our video conferencing, if you will. Force majeure was the topic today. Josh Swanson with Vogel Law. Thank you very much for coming on the program, as well as Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn. Very much appreciate your time and information today. It is much needed here on the program. Coming up in just a moment or two, we're going to hand the baton off to Devin Becker with Becker Safety and Supply with our daily radio update on the podcast. Also, our daily headlines are available at thecrudelife.com. Our sponsor of the day, WIC. Thank you for joining us here at The Crude Life, a new sponsor. WIC has been the leading industrial insulation company in the Mountain States for over 41 years. They provide their partners with safety, quality, and productivity on every single project, big or small. But most of all, they have integrity. From insulation and fireproofing to asbestos abatement and scaffolding, WIC believes protection is perfection and achievable on all projects. They are based in the Rockies and serving the industry west of the Mississippi, but they're not limited to it. Check out their website for more information. Are you ready for this, folks? WICWYO.com. That's WICWYOMING.com. WICWYO.com. All right, what else do we have going on? Our featured event, oh, the March Madness has been going on. We're down to the final four. I didn't even mention that. We'll do more on that tomorrow. The tournament is up. Target Hospitality, Aries Building. Who else? We got Swan Energy, the number one seed. Oh, the number 13 seed, Canine Pipe Inspections, the literal underdog. Also, Johnny Green with his Eco Watch is available, Planet Service Announcements. And we'd like to thank our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching, and our phone line sponsor, The Bakken Barbecue. The Crude Life Podcast can be heard every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. We're going to hand it off to Devin Becker with Becker Safety and Supply for our daily radio update right here on the podcast. But that's going to do it for me, folks, from the staff here at, oh, Provolone, excellent job today. See, when you're not physically here, sometimes I forget you're here. But then again, sometimes when you are here, I want to forget you're here. But that's for another day at a different time. Provolone, excellent job as always. In fact, double time today, working twice as hard. And I do appreciate you working through all this mishmash. And again, we're remaining positive. You know, we're just going to work through this. Everything's going to be fine because you know why, folks? The sun's going to come up tomorrow. I know it is. I have a good authority. The sun's going to come up for the rest of my lifetime. And I believe it. I believe it by somebody who I trust. All right. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Devin Becker with Becker Safety and Supply. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Devin Becker right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. How are you guys handling this? I mean, are people still coming to your retail location or do they have to have appointments? Or Like I said, I'm sure your online is is doing probably better than before, if not fine now. 
Yeah, I mean, we've tried to kind of be sensitive to the workers that we are dealing with. And, you know, a lot of them maybe have to stay in the office, but we realize there's a lot of our customers, you know, they don't get that luxury. And so, you know, we're, we've stayed open for our retail uh, aspect of it. Obviously, we've seen uh, the number of people walking in decrease, uh, but we've also um, positioned it in a way, too, that people can order online at vectorsafety.com and you know they can come either pick it up or they can have it shipped to them um, so we're just trying to limit that exposure to them if they feel that's um, necessary for them uh, but yeah we do have outside sales and so you know they're having to change the playbook a little bit for themselves and you know they may not be able to visit their customers in person so you know utilizing technology to you know get as close to the customer as you can without being there and um, you know, we do have our customizations team, and so we've opened it up, uh, you know, free embroidery for all new orders um, until all this stuff is done because we want to keep them busy, um, help save our customers money, and just be a full one-stop shop for everyone. It's best to be positive, but at the same time, you have to accept a little bit of reality that there is some restructuring in the marketplace going on. Yeah, you know, it's it's like that black swan event, right? Two things that you never think would happen at the same time happen. Um, so, you know, we've we've seen a lot of companies um, laying off. Uh, we've heard rumors of that and actual uh, layoffs we've heard. And so, yeah, that's it's super sad to see because in Wall County, you know, we are the number one producer in Colorado uh, for the county. So, you know, that's a lot of jobs, um, you know, and our governor isn't very friendly of the oil and gas industry, but it's kind of funny how he still deemed it a central industry. To listen to the full-length interview with Devin Becker with Becker Safety and Supply or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Be sure to check out our daily podcast and our social media pages while you're at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you, there's a world changer down the street and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Instead
in the place It's just you and me, baby Singing it like we did in the good old days Yeah, we're singing it like we did in the good old days Because we're back to the way seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.